The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus' I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of His Word, the Bible. So far, in the previous 11 episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus' I Am statements found within the New Testament. As stated, it is my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, clearly draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition as the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of kings. 
As you will recall in episodes 1 and 2, we completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek regarding God's revelation to Moses, and by extension to his people, of God's character or name. In part 3, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke 22 regarding Jesus' I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part 4, we looked at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. In part 5, we began to look at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. In part 6, we continued to examine John chapter 6, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part 7, we took a side road and looked at John chapter 7, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water drawing ceremony to proclaim that he was Messiah and to invite believers, saying, quote, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, unquote. In episode 8, we looked at chapter 8 with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, quote, I am the light of the world, unquote. We also saw in chapter 8, Jesus making the axiomatic, logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus' identity as I am. In part 9, we looked at John chapter 8, wherein Jesus says, quote, Before Abraham was, I am, unquote. In part 10, we looked at Jesus' statement, quote, I am the door, unquote, and, quote, I am the good shepherd, unquote as well as, quote, I and the Father are one, unquote. In episode 11, we looked at John chapter 11, where Jesus' statement is made saying, quote, I am the resurrection and the life, unquote. That brings us to this episode, we, where we turn to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 19, and the event of the Last Supper in the upper room, where we set context for Jesus' eventual, quote, I am, unquote, statement. Quote, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, 
got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said unto them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor is one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am, ego I may, he. Now, several things deserve comment here. First of all, because Jesus is God, he knows the future and what will happen before it happens. Not only does Jesus know the future, but Jesus, as God, is sovereignly in control of the future and its details according to his perfect will. Specifically, Jesus knows that Judas Iscariot will betray him and how and when he will do it. Jesus then decides to use his knowledge to inform his disciples of what will happen so as to demonstrate and prove his divinity to them. Thus, when the events that Jesus predicts come to pass, Jesus' disciples will have yet another piece of historical evidence which proves that Jesus is God. This is exactly what Jesus states is his purpose in making the prediction. Quote, So that when it does occur, ye may believe that I am. Unquote. 
Again, the word, quote, he, unquote, is inserted by the translators in an effort to make the sentence make better grammatical sense. The, quote, unquote, he still refers to the fact that Jesus is referring to himself as God. However, the word, quote, unquote, he distracts from the meaning of the phrase, quote, I am, unquote, since I am is God. The reason for this is that only God can predict the future because God, in this case Jesus, is the Alpha and the Omega, the I exist, I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is. Continuing in verses 20 through 38, we read the details of Jesus' betrayal by Judas Iscariot. Quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He, then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, What thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we need against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He, then having received the sop, went immediately out as it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. Ye will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that, ye lo that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, 
Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Unquote. Further on, then, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, continue the conversation. Quote, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Unquote. Now, without digressing too far, as long as we are here, it would be negligent not to mention that Jesus is directly drawing his comments from the ancient Jewish wedding ritual when he says, quote, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, unquote. As you may recall, in the ancient Jewish wedding ritual, the groom or a representative make a written agreement with the bride-to-be and her father for a proposed wedding. The groom then offers a dowry price for the bride, and if all of the parties are agreed, a contract is signed and the two are legally married. The groom traditionally leaves the bride to return to his father's house where he builds a separate dwelling or home where they too will live. When the groom leaves the bride, the groom traditionally makes a toast, promising, quote, I must leave you now. I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, but I will return for you and take you with me, that you also may be with me, unquote. After making this scripted toast, the groom then leaves and returns to his father's house, where the construction and preparation begin and continue until the father signals his satisfaction and commands his son to return for his bride. In the interim time, the bride uses her time to prepare herself and her wedding garment for the return of her groom. When the father makes the command, the son returns suddenly to claim his bride and takes her back to his father's home where they consummate their marriage. For more details on this ceremony, you can listen to the two-part episode entitled The Ancient Jewish Wedding. 
In any case, it is clear to see that Jesus is here equating himself to the substance of the groom who is establishing a relationship to his church, i.e. believers, such as his disciples. Jesus knows he will be crucified, that he will die, and that he will rise again and ascend to his Father's house in heaven. Further, Jesus is also equating his promise to return for his church as the substance of the groom's promise to return for his bride. Since the theory is that Jesus, as God, inspired and created the type and shadow of the ancient Jewish wedding to begin with, then it is logical that he would apply the substance for which it was intended at the, at the appointed time. Here, Jesus starts the clock running, having completed the contract marriage between himself and his church. After his ascension, he is presently preparing a place for his elect chosen, the church, and awaits a time appointed when God the Father will send his son, Yeshua, to collect his bride, the church. Jesus then says, quote, And ye know the way where I am going. Unquote. Now, the fact is that intrinsically speaking, the disciples did know the way by which they too could be assured that they would be with and go to the Father. The problem was that at least in the case of Thomas, he did not know that he knew. This is why Thomas asks, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? In order to be abundantly clear, Jesus responds to Thomas's question saying, quote, I am ego I may the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, first of all, Jesus says, I am, ego I may, the Alpha and the Omega, the I exist, I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is. Jesus is God. Secondly, up until now, if one wanted to be righteous and acceptable before God, then one did so by adherence to the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, etc. If someone were to ask any Orthodox Jew of Jesus' day, uh, what is the way, the truth, and the life? It is likely that the common answer would be one or more of the following. For example, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Or Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Or Psalm 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Or finally, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. In summary, the answer would be that the Torah was the way, the truth, and the life. The Torah was brought down by God, by his word, to man, and was his methodology and standard by which people could please God and have fellowship. In point of fact, God's word gives progressive revelation that the law was in fact intended as a schoolmaster to demonstrate the futility and the inability of any person to measure up to the standard of God's holiness and righteousness by our own merits. We were and are supposed to come to the conclusion that it is impossible and that there must be another way. Even at the outset of the delivery of the Ten Commandments, we see that the first set of laws was broken by man before they were even delivered. It isn't until later that God gives a second set of commandments, which was placed inside the ark, which is the type of Christ. Well, just so, as Paul observes, the law was intended to lead to Jesus the Christ, who, as God, kept the law perfectly. Thus, an abiding faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross, his righteousness imputed to us by grace, is the quote-unquote way. This is why the first century Christians initially referred to Christianity as quote-unquote the way. As the law, the Torah was truth. So too is Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all God's law, God's holiness and righteousness, the truth. The law and the Torah was thought to bring life. But as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, quote, By the law is the knowledge of sin, unquote. Well, sin is falling short of and separation from God. Separation from God is death. Essentially, the law is a highly calibrated mechanism by which we know how holy God is. And by reason of our inability, it demonstrates and verifies that we are dead. We are separated from God by our sin. Well, thus, by logical extension, reconciliation by God's grace through faith in and imputation of Christ's finished work is life and life eternal. In all, Jesus states that he is God. As God, the Son, the Messiah, he is not just a way, he is the only way. He is the truth, and he is the life. Just in case we miss it, there is no other way, and no person can ever come to God the Father except by and through 
Jesus. Verses 7 through 11 confirm the operational theory proposed so far. Quote, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believeth, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." Unquote. So here Jesus reveals the reality that he and God the Father are one in their ontological essence, nature, and being. So by definition, knowing or having a relationship with Jesus is knowing and having a relationship with God because Jesus is God. Seeing Jesus is seeing God because Jesus is the manifestation and incarnation of God with us, Emmanuel. As Jesus states, Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. They are one in nature, being, and essence. This is why liberal theology, atheist, and secular humanist theories regarding Christianity and the Bible are in heretical error. To one degree or another, each of them characterize and selectively dissect Jesus from his divinity and other attributes of God. Jesus' divinity, holiness, righteousness, sovereignty, ultimate authority, judgment, and correct justice are all redefined and or eliminated. In place of these, secular and societal preferences of Jesus have emerged, such as a Jesus who is exclusively and unilaterally driven by social justice or undefined quote-unquote love, tolerance, inclusion, or whatever else man sees as right in his own eyes. Inevitably, Jesus is nothing more than a civil rights advocate and community agitator who is divorced from all scripture except those few which support the illusions and opinions created by a fallen world. But here, Jesus is in fact self-identifying once and for all as the God of all scripture, both old and New Testament. Jesus is the God of Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Jesus is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the I Am of the burning bush. 
Jesus is God of very God and man of very man. Our job is not to redefine, repurpose, apologize, or question who Jesus is. Our job is to do as Jesus said and, quote, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake, unquote. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 13. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Go to the world.